Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids, a show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. Well, hey, future paleontologists. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope you're all having a safe and wonderful January. I'm Dinosaur George, and you are listening to the Dinosaur George Kids Podcast. And I hope for those of you that have been longtime listeners, you're enjoying it. It's been so much fun doing it. Uh, Before I get too far into this podcast, got to do a couple of shout outs to some people that I've done virtual lessons for. The first one is my friends at West Bank Library in Austin, Texas. Um, I have done this. This is probably the fifth or sixth one that I've done with them. So I'm really enjoying that a lot. I'm having a great time doing that. So shout out to all my friends at West Bank Library. Then today, earlier this afternoon, earlier this morning, I spoke to the students at Canyon Ridge Elementary. Canyon Ridge Elementary is here in San Antonio, and I had a great time. They were great. Both groups, I saw the younger grades and the older grades. Now, the younger grades, those were the naughtiest children in the world. (laughs) I'm kidding. They were so much fun. We had such a good time. We had a contest, and I told them that if they won the contest, I would have to pay them $5 million. But if they lost the contest, they had to pay me $5 million. Well, since I'm the judge and the jury, I have decided that I won. So all of the kids... From Canyon Ridge Elementary in San Antonio, you each have to send me $5 million. Please do not send it in pennies because I don't want that much change. So shout out to them. I had such a good time doing that. Now, today's podcast is extra special because I'm streaming the recording of it live on the Dinosaur George page on Facebook and on the Dinosaur George Kids group on Facebook. So I'm streaming this show to both of those and people at home get to watch this podcast being recorded. And when we do questions and answers, the people watching get the opportunity to ask their questions. So their question is going to be read and answered here on this podcast. A couple of things to talk about. One is a Patreon. If you would like to be a member of our Patreon club, Uh, I'll play the ad in a second to give you information about it. If you are a member or if you'd like to be a member tomorrow, today, by the way, is what is it? January the 8th, tomorrow, January the 9th at 6 p.m. We're doing a lesson on pterosaurs. So all Patreon club members can sit in on that lesson. Uh, We do it through um, through Zoom and all the Patreon members get to join. So that's tomorrow at 6 p.m. Central Time. Then On January 23rd, which is also a Saturday, and I think that one, I think that was at 4 p.m., that is going to be on terror birds like Andrew Galornis and Titanus Walleri and those. So if any of you would like to become a a Dinosaur George uh, Patreon club member, let me play you a little information. And when we come back, we will get into our feature creature. Become a member of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club and join the fun. 
We offer different club levels, each with their own set of benefits. Private lessons, new discoveries, behind-the-scene access, and much more are all part of being a club member. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com and sign up today. All right. So, yeah, I hope you'll consider becoming a Patreon club member because it helps me do stuff like this. So now it's time to get into it. Our feature creature. It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. All right. The feature creature for this podcast is none other than Megalodon, the biggest predatory shark that ever existed, maybe the biggest predator that ever existed on Earth. This thing is gigantic. Now, the name Megalodon, in English, that word is actually two Latin words. Mega means big, don means tooth. Megalodon is big tooth or giant tooth. And it says that's the name because its teeth are so giant. But here is the problem with Megalodon. Here is the problem with Megalodon. The only thing that fossilizes with Megalodon are its teeth. Sometimes a couple of vertebrae fossilize, but not very often. But the jaws don't fossilize, only the teeth do. And so for that reason, it makes it very difficult to know exactly how big this shark is. Because all we have, the only clues we have are teeth. And that makes it tough. Because we have to compare its teeth to a living shark. And the great white shark is a pretty good, pretty good uh, uh, match. So we have to compare the teeth. So we measure the teeth of a great white shark. And then we say, okay, if Megalodon's tooth is 10 times bigger than that great white tooth, then we can estimate its size as being 10 times larger than the shark that we just measured. But the problem is we don't know if that works necessarily. So for any of you that love Megalodon, I know if you've got several books, it may be confusing because you read one and it says Megalodon is 35 feet long. And then you read another and it says Megalodon is 60 feet long. And you go, well, which one is it? Well, I want you to remember it's very hard. It's very difficult for scientists to estimate the size of something when you have such limited evidence. Now, there is a formula, a mathematical formula that is used to help estimate the size of a megalodon. But here's the problem with it. You have to know which tooth it is. Where did it come from within the shark's mouth? See, if you measure a tooth from the corner of a megalodon's mouth, those teeth are tiny. They're little. But if you go up to the very front of the tooth of of the mouth of a megalodon, those teeth are the biggest ones in the mouth. So in order for this this formula to work, you have to get a tooth from the front of the mouth. You have to know it's the biggest tooth in the mouth. And then the formula is you measure it from the tip of the tooth all the way down to what is called the base, the tip of the tooth to the base. That's the part, the root that goes into the mouth. And you measure that. And every inch that you measure would equal 10 feet. So if the tooth I was measuring was a one inch long tooth, it would go to a 10 foot long shark. If you measure a six inch tooth, 
then that would represent a 60-foot-long shark. So many scientists believe that Megalodon was probably between 45 and 60 feet. I know that's a big difference, but that's because of all the problems that I talked about. So it was probably between 40 and 60 feet long. Regardless, both of those are gigantic. Listen, that's longer than Tyrannosaurus Rex. That's how big Megalodons were. And here's something else that's very confusing about Megalodon. We all call it Megalodon, but that's really its last name. That shark, <coughs> excuse me, got to take a drink of water. That shark actually has a first and last name. All animals have a first and last name. Human's first and last name is Homo sapien, or Homo and then sapien. That's our name. That's our scientific name. Uh, the scientific name for Megalodon, it depends on which scientist you talk about or talk to, because they still don't know. Some people think its name should be Otodus Megalodon. Otodus Megalodon. Other people believe its name should be Carcharodon Megalodon. And then I think there's a third one, Carcharocles Megalodon. So when you say the name Megalodon, you're actually calling it by its last name. That's not its scientific name. You know, by calling it Megalodon, if you did the same thing with Tyrannosaurus Rex, you would only call it Rex. Did you know that? So when you say the word Megalodon, you're usually talking about its last name, not its first name. If you called, uh, uh, let me think, Triceratops. If I called Triceratops by its last name, its last name is Horridus. Horridus. So Megalodon is the only animal with which whom we call by its last name. <laughs> I mean, only prehistoric animal, but I just wanted you to know that. Now, as for weight, how much did this thing weigh? Well, estimates go as high as 50 tons. That's 100,000 pounds. How could they weigh that much? Well, because they live in the ocean. And in the water, water supports your body. So you that's why whales weigh so much. They don't have to come on land. So their weight is supported by the ocean. So try to imagine a shark that probably resembled a great white shark that was between 50 and 60 feet long and weighing up to 50 tons. That thing would be the most terrifying predator we would ever come across. Now, they're found throughout the world, so Megalodon was very successful. They lived during a time called the early Miocene, all the way up to the age called the Pliocene, so probably between 23 and about 2 million years ago. That's a long time to be on Earth. That's a very successful shark. Megalodon just didn't show up one day and then disappear the next. He was there for a very, very long time. And by the way, Megalodon never saw a dinosaur. Megalodon has nothing to do with dinosaurs. So when people ask me if a Megalodon could eat a T-Rex, the answer is always, yes, it could, but they didn't live together. But yes, it could eat a t something as big as a Tyrannosaurus Rex. But the only way for that would work would be, of course, for Tyrannosaurus to go into the ocean. So I believe Megalodon is out there preying upon absolutely everything anything that it comes across. So a new discovery that I found to be fascinating about Megalodon, and that is that baby Megalodons had nurseries. What's a nursery? Well, a nursery is like an area where you keep the babies. You see, the grown-up Megalodons, if there's baby Megalodons out there with the grown-ups, the grown-ups simply look at them as a snack. They get eaten. So the little 
Shar the little megalodons live closer into the more shallow water where the big ones couldn't follow. So it appears that there was a, a nursery for baby megalodons. So if you and I were alive during the Miocene period and we went in and we went to the coast, we might look and go, hey, look at this. There's like five or six or seven little sharks, but they wouldn't be little compared to you and I. They'd be bigger than us. We'd be like, whoa, that's scary. And then you find out uh, that's baby. Mom and dad are out there in the deeper water. Baby's only here to hide for mom and dad. So the shark was so big, how did it hunt? I mean, how did it hunt? Well, I think it probably hunted the same way that modern great white sharks hunt. The coloration was probably the same, so they probably stayed down deep in the water. uh, So that if you were at the surface and you looked down, you couldn't see it because its back was probably dark colored. And its belly was probably white or light colored. So that if you were down in the deep water and you look above you, you can't see it because all you see is white. So it probably hunted the same way, probably by ambush. The one thing megalodons could not do is megalodons could not come into real shallow water. Great whites generally don't come into real shallow water because if they ever get stuck, they can't get back in the water. So megalodons would have had to be in even deeper water than what a great white hunts today. Now, great whites do go out into the deepest part of the ocean. But megalodons wouldn't have a choice. They would have to stay in much deeper water. They would have to stay in much deeper water. And that's the only way that they would be able to survive. And that means that their food choices then were a little more limited. Now, if you're, if you're hunting along the beach, man, you can catch all kinds of stuff, right? Like uh, pelicans that may land in the shallower water, um, seagulls, uh, Uh, dolphins, seals, otters. Well, Megalodon isn't hunting those animals. Now, what what did he hunt? Well, I think he hunted turtles, whales, fish, dolphins, seals, walruses, manatees, other sharks. Megalodons ate anything they came in contact with. But because they were forced to live in a little bit deeper water, then that means that their food sources weren't as great because there's more life living along the shore than there is just out in the open ocean. And the animals that do live in the open ocean are usually very fast. Megalodon is not really made for chasing you down. It's simply too big. So Megalodon is probably an ambush predator that sat in the deeper water looking up, hoping to sense something in the water, either swimming and then attacking. Of course, whales would have been its number one diet. And we do find a lot of whale bones with big dash marks taken out of them where they bit into the whale. So megalodons are absolutely a super predator, totally a super predator, and absolutely something that everybody would be terrified to come in contact with. But the biggest mystery is, why did they go extinct? Why did they die? Why didn't megalodons survive? Why? Well, that's a tough question. I think it could have been a number of things. First, The biggest problem with being giant, whatever you are, the biggest problem with being a giant is that when your environment changes, you are usually the ones that suffer the most because if there's a break in the food source, you can't go for weeks without eating. You have to eat a lot because you're so big. You can't make it without eating. So if you have a brachiosaurus 
and a Micropachycephalosaurus, both plant eaters, living side by side. Brachiosaurus is taller than your house. Micropachycephalosaurus you could hold in the palm of your hand. If the environment changes and plants don't grow as quickly, who do you think is going to be the first one to die? Brachiosaurus, right? Because he's big. He needs more food. But the little Micropachy, that little guy's like, hey, I can find scraps. Well, that's one of the reasons that, in my opinion, I think Megalodon could have gone extinct, is if there was any kind of change in the environment. And if, um, if that change affected life in the sea and the food chain broke down, then that would have an impact on the biggest animals first, like whales, like Megalodon. Second reason could be the behavior of whales and other prey items. You see, living with a predator like Megalodon, you better figure out quickly how to stay away from it. Whales might have figured out a way to stay away from a Megalodon. And let me tell you what that is. Sharks get their oxygen from the water. They swim with their mouth open. The water flows into their mouth and across their gills. And their gills are grabbing the little oxygen that's in the water, and that's how they breathe. The warmer the water, the less oxygen there is in it. So water that's really warm doesn't have as many oxygen molecules, and therefore the animals that live in warm water have a hard time breathing unless they're specialized. So what if the ocean temperature started to go up in the world? What would happen? We talk about that today. We don't think about it. Everybody goes, ooh, the water would be warmer. Well, that's not the way it works. If the ocean temperatures begin to rise, it could affect all life in the ocean. So what if there was a rise in the water temperature? Or what if whales figured out the safest place to go is to the equator where the water is warmer? Now, Megalodon can follow them, but here's the problem. If there's not a lot of oxygen in the water, Megalodon is going to have a hard time breathing, a hard time getting its breath, right? And if you can't breathe, you can't move as fast. You can't do the things you need to do. Whales don't get their oxygen from in the water. They get the oxygen from outside, like you and I. So a whale doesn't care how warm the water could be. The whale can survive. Maybe. Megalodon simply starved because their prey figured out how to stay away from them. Maybe all of the seals and the turtles and the manatees figured out we got to stay in the shallow water. We can't go out there in the deep water. Yeah, there's baby Megalodons in the shallow water, but at least I have a chance against them. I don't have a chance against a giant Megalodon. So it could be possible that Megalodons went extinct because of environmental change and because it was so big. All right, let's take another short break. When we come back, we are going to do the Ask Dinosaur George segment. This time, for everybody who's watching on Facebook Live, I will include your questions so you can begin to send me as many questions as you want. If you've sent your question earlier and I didn't answer it, send it again, and I'll keep watching. And for everybody else, let's take a very short break. Uh, we'll talk about my virtual lessons, and when we come back, it'll be time for the Ask Dinosaur George segment. Now you can bring Dinosaur George into your classroom, home, or facility anywhere in the world with our virtual lessons. We offer over 15 different topics, including dinosaurs, prehistoric mammals, rocks and minerals, and more. 
any age, any location, and any time zone. Visit us at DinosaurGeorge.com. Do you have any questions about dinosaurs? Just ask Dinosaur George. You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at DinosaurGeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. All right, it's time for the Ask Dinosaur George segment. Here we go. This first question comes from one of our Patreon members, Oliver. Oliver is a Patreon member, and he always sends good questions. So Oliver says, Dear Dinosaur George, I have a question about Gigantoraptor. Do you think that the male would have done a dance to impress a female or fought with others of its own kind to find a mate? Well, yes, I do, Oliver. I do believe that's what they would do. And I think they did that because we look at modern animals today, and modern animals do the same thing, right? We see modern animals that are out there dancing around to try to attack, attract a girlfriend or to scare away a rival. We see that all the time. And so I believe, I absolutely believe that that's exactly what dinosaurs would have done. I think dinosaurs would have behaved the exact same way as their cousins, the modern birds. So that's a very good question. Okay, this next question comes to, uh, comes from Levi. From Adrian, Michigan, who was also a Patreon member. Thank you, Levi. Levi says, is Allosaurus and Albertosaurus the same dinosaur? Well, they're not. Their names look very look similar, but they're not. First of all, Allosaurus lived in the late Jurassic period, and Albertosaurus lived in the late Cretaceous. They were separated by tens of millions of years. They never saw each other. Next, if you look closely, you'll see that Allosaurus has three fingers on each hand and Albertosaurus only has two. So that's a difference. And then finally, Allosaurus actually has little horns over its eyes that uh, Albertosaurus does not have. Okay, let me jump onto Facebook and answer some of these. My friend Gracie, who is a uh, patron member, Gracie Diaz says... Is it true that they gave birth in only warm waters? That's a hard one to know, Gracie. That's a difficult question. Megalodon, by the way, your other question is, do they still exist? We don't think so. Uh, They're they're too big. We would have spotted them by now if they did. But uh, I don't think that they still exist. But did they give birth in only warm water? That's hard to tell. I think it would be the opposite. I believe they would want to give birth in cold water so that it's easier for them to breathe and it's easier for the babies, the pups to breathe. So my guess, best guess would be that they probably gave birth in cold water, but that's a hard one. That's a great question. Let's see. Matthew wants to know if there's any dino fossils in New Jersey. Yes, I believe New Jersey now has a state dinosaur. A friend of mine who lives there was the one who was instrumental in getting it named. So I do believe, Matthew, that you now have a state dinosaur. I think it's, oh, what's its name? Uh, Appalachosaurus, I think. I think that's its name. That's really cool. Okay, let's go. Uh, and by the way, um, uh, Gracie's mom loves sharks. I know that Gracie loves sharks. <laughs> I know I know she does. Um And by the way, Jennifer, thank you. I'm glad I'm Matthew's favorite podcast. I'm glad to hear that. How are you, Matthew? I hope you're doing well. 
Okay, let's uh, let's see. Oh, Bennett from the T-Rex Club says hi. Hello, Bennett. Glad you're with us, buddy. Let me see. I'm going to go through here and see if anybody else has any other questions that they sent me. It appears that the um, live video feed has kind of dropped off, but maybe it's come back again. So let's see. Um, okay, let's do one from Adya, who's age eight from Frisco, Texas. I just sends a great question. How could every single dinosaur die? How is that possible? Well, Adya, we know that birds are dinosaurs and they didn't die and they survived. And a lot of animals survived as well. But why did the terrestrial dinosaurs die? What is the reason? Here is my opinion. I believe that it had something to do with the internal organs of the dinosaurs. That something about the way they were made, maybe it was their heart or their kidneys or their lungs or their liver, I don't know. But I think when the environment changed, for whatever reason, those animals simply were not adapted and could not adapt quickly enough and they all died. I think, personally, I believe it had to do with their lungs. I believe that they were made for breathing high oxygen. And we know at the end of the age of dinosaurs, the oxygen levels dropped. And just like I said about Megalodon the shark, if your oxygen is low, you cannot do the things that you normally do. And so that would mean that, in my opinion, I just think that there is no way that they would have been able to survive the drop in oxygen. Okay, let's see. Gabe, age seven, from Hogansville, Georgia. Gabe says, did T-Rex really eat Gallimimus? Yes, it did, Gabe. T-Rexes would have eaten anything. Now, it would have been hard to catch Gallimimus because Gallimimus is so incredibly fast. But um, I do believe, absolutely I believe, that it would have eaten Gallimimus and, quite frankly, everything else that it could catch. All right, it's time for our favorite part. You all know it. You all love it. It is... Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops? You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now... Get ready. It's time to find out who would win. All right, my friends. Everybody loves this segment. It's so much fun. Now, to submit a who would win, you have to be a Tyrannosaurus member of the Patreon Club. If you're not a member of the Patreon Club, you can still submit Ask Dinosaur George questions. You can do that. And there's three ways you can do that. You could go to the dinosaurgeorge.com website and you can uh, go to the ask or you can go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page on that website. And there's a form that you can fill out and send and we'll get it and I'll try to add it. Or you can post your questions on Facebook. So this week's Who Would Win comes from Levi who just happened to be uh, the one that sent us an Ask DG. So good job, Levi. Levi wants to know who would win Tarbosaurus versus a T-Rex at night. Ooh, a fight in the dark. Ooh, brother. Ooh, brother. This is going to be crazy. This is going to be crazy. So 
Tyrannosaurus has everything over Tarbosaurus. It's bigger, it's stronger, it's faster. It's, well, it may not have been faster, but it was big and strong and dangerous. So I absolutely think, I absolutely think that Tarbosaurus is not going to be able to defend himself over Tyrannosaurus Rex because he's just not strong enough to do that. He's just not strong enough. Even though it's in the dark, I believe, in my opinion, Tarbosaurus wins. And the last one comes from my friend Emilio Raptor, who is a member of the Tyrannosaurus group. Emilio Raptor wants to know who would win, Suchomimus or Baryonyx. Whoa. Now here you have two evenly, evenly matched dinosaurs. Evenly matched. So who would win in that fight? That's a tough one, Emilio. You gave me a super hard one. I'm going to say Suchomimus. Why? Because I like it better than Baryonyx. <laughs> That's the only reason why. I like Suchomimus. I think he looks cooler. Baryonyx has some dangerous weapons, but so does Suchomimus. So in my opinion, I believe, I believe that um, Suchomimus would be the winner. All right. We are now, and here's one of the thing about being a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex or Tyrannosaurus member of the Patreon Club, and that is you get the opportunity to be interviewed. You get to be interviewed. So let's listen to the interview I had today with our friend Noah. All right, today's Tyrannosaurus Patreon Club member is Noah. Noah was one of the original Patreon Club members. And Noah is a good friend and knows so much about dinosaurs. I actually think I ought to quit my job, turn my whole company over to Noah, and then he can it can become the Dinosaur Noah Company instead of Dinosaur George. Noah, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Man, it's so good to hear from you. So, Noah, um, you know, you and I, every time we do a lesson, you always log in early. And you and I always get early time to talk. I shouldn't say that because now everybody's going to hear it and they're all going to log in early. So, <laughs> But I have such fun conversations with you because you know so much. How old are you, first of all? I'm 11, about to turn uh, 12. My birthday's on February the 2nd, so Ooh. can't wait for that. Man, that's right around the corner. So you'll be 12. Well, let me tell you something. The knowledge you have, as much as you know, Whenever I'm talking to you, I forget that you're 11 or 12. It, it feels like you're 25 or 30 years old. So how long have you liked prehistoric life? Uh, I don't even remember when I started. I started watching dinosaur documentaries when I was four <laughs> and two, no, three. I love dinosaurs forever. I do not remember when I started loving them. What what do you what is it about them that you think is so interesting? I mean, they're mysterious. We don't know that much about them, and there's so much to learn. And I mean, they're so big. Yeah. And how successful they were. Right. They, they're just majestic animals. You know, it's it's funny you talk about being successful because one of the things that always bothered me, and it still does today. Is when people talk about the failures of dinosaurs, that they were failures, and they don't understand that we humans have been on this earth for a blink of an eye. They were here for a hundred million years. So I always get frustrated when people talk about them being failures. I like your opinion about how successful they were. So I know this is a hard question, but I got to ask it. 
What is your favorite prehistoric animal? Oh. And you can only pick one. So no getting away with, I like them all. I'm not going to let you get away with that. You have to pick one. And today, this is the this is going to be for the world to hear, Noah. Who is your favorite prehistoric animal? I have about six favorites, but if I, right now I'm in a Troodon mood. Right. So, so Troodon today is your favorite. If I asked you this tomorrow, it would be somebody else. <laughs> so why do you like Troodon? I mean, he's the smartest dinosaur and I mean, he's nocturnal. Yeah. And nice. he's omnivorous. Nice. And, uh, and he's one of the first dinosaurs found in North America. Isn't that incredible? That's really cool. And I don't blame you. And, and you know, a lot of times people dismiss the smaller dinosaurs because they love the big ones. And I understand that. That's cool. But I'm with you. I like some of the smaller ones and Troodon being not tiny, but being a smaller dinosaur. I think he's pretty in- incredible. Uh, you've said this to me a couple of times that you seriously are wanting to become a paleontologist. Have Do you still feel that way, first of all? And second... Have you given any thought yet to any sort of college that you might want to choose? I still want to be a paleontologist. I would do about anything to become a paleontologist, even jump off of the Empire State Building, probably. (laughs) Well, that wouldn't be a good career choice. That would be a good career move because (laughs) all the way down, you'd be screaming, I'm going to be a paleontologist. But it's when you get to the street level that problems begin. (laughs) So have you thought of any schools yet at all? I mean, you're still very young. There's no reason to start. But have you given any thought to that yet at all? I've actually given a lot of thought. I really want to go to the University of Alberta. Yes. Uh, it it has Philip J. Cooley, my favorite paleontologist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, I'll tell you something to make you jealous uh, when I was in Canada once, I had dinner with Dr. Curry and his wife, Ava, and they took me into the uh, university's prep room where I got to see all the skeletons that they were prepping. And I got to hold in my hand a complete baby Chasmosaurus, a baby Chasmosaurus. I got to touch a Styracosaurus skull, two Centrosauruses. So the greatest thing of if you choose to go to school there is that they have access to so many digs that you'll get to go. You know, I have a lot of young people ask me, where's the best college to go to become a paleontologist? Well, first of all, you have to decide what kind of paleontologist you want to be. Do you want to study dinosaurs? Do you want to study fish? Do you want to study mammals? And different schools have different uh, uh, specialties. But uh, Alberta, that school, you're right there. I mean, you get to get on a bus and go dinosaur hunting. How cool is that? I really want to go there. It would just be awesome. Yeah. Well, especially you would be able to go down into the collections room and look around and just like a little kid in a candy store, like a kid in a toy store. You don't know what to what to look at first. There's so much stuff. So you mentioned you like Dr. Curry. He is one of the kindest people. Uh, when did you learn about Dr. Curry? Like, did you see him on like... A TV show? Did you read about him? Do you remember how you learned about Dr. Curry? Well, when I, I first learned about Dr. Curry, when I read a book, it was The Ultimate Dinopedia by National Geographic. And it 
and it was and it had the, these famous fossil hunters in it. And I mean, you can't not have Dr. Cooney in that. I mean, he's done so many things. Right. Then over time, I started to really like him. Then I started getting some books about his travels. And then finally, I emailed him and I was very nervous about that. And he responded and he is so, so kind. Yeah. He, I'm glad to hear that. He is truly one of the nicest people you will meet in paleontology. Very, very kind, very courteous, very respectful. He is a true gem for the world of, of paleontology. And I'm so glad. I'm glad you wrote to him and that he wrote you back. That's very good because those guys are bombarded with a lot of things. So I'm glad he wrote you back. It, I was shocked, really. I mean, it's the war, one of the world's most famous paleontologists who emailed a kid in Round Rock, Texas. I mean, middle of nowhere. I haven't, I didn't even know I, what a Round Rock, Texas was <laughs> before I moved there. Right. Well, that's cool. So, so yeah, how cool is that? You're sitting in, in, round, in the city of Round Rock, Texas, emailing a paleontologist in Canada. And he responds that had to be the, that had to be an exciting moment for you. So, you know, one of the things about paleontology is a lot of times people think they only think of dinosaurs when you think of paleontology, but you like all sorts of animals. Are there other groups that you like? Are there other time periods other than the Mesozoic that you find interesting? I'm really interested in the Corboniferous and nice. the giant insects and amphibians, and so much was going on in Carboniferous. I really like uh, Orthopluia. He's a really close, basically a giant centipede, and right. I've always liked him, and I love freaking my mama out about it. <laughs> Good for you. I'm glad you're doing your part. You know, that's the job of a young man. Drive your mother nuts. Congratulations for being a successful young man. Yeah, I agree. The Carboniferous period is very odd with all the oddities and the big insects. And, you know, um, growing up, I went through phases. You know, you talked about how this week you like uh, um, um, on, and then tomorrow could be somebody else. I was the same way, only there was a time that I started learning about the Permian. And the creatures in the Permian are just weird. Yeah, I like the Permian a lot, but I guess over the last 10 years, my focus has been Cenozoic. A lot of the mammals, the terror birds, all of those. I like that. So so you're also a big fan of the Cenozoic era, right? Speaking of terror birds, I intend to study terror birds when I grow up because not too many paleontologists are studying them. And there's so much to learn about them. And I mean... These wacko boards that ate horses. I mean, it's kind of mixed that, up board around there. That, that's right. And you know what? Uh, for everybody listening, um, speaking of that, on January the 23rd, if you are a Patreon Club member and you are a T-Rex or a Raptor Club member, we're doing uh, a lesson on terror birds on the 23rd. So if any of you are listening to this and you want to be in that lesson on terror birds, you need to become a Tyrannosaurus or a Raptor Club member on Patreon. Um, if you're a Tyrannosaurus member like Noah, you get the opportunity to be interviewed for a podcast, which is cool. But only the T-Rex members, that's our highest level. Only T-Rex members have that option. 
So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm bringing to that class, uh, that lesson, um, Kellenkin. I have a skull of a Kellenkin. So we're going to be, he's going to be sitting in here in the, in the studio with me. So you'll be seeing a Kellenkin uh, a skull. How cool is that? That'll be really cool. I cannot wait for that lesson. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> it really is. Well, um, so let me ask you, have you ever been to any museums that you like? Have you been to museums that you've enjoyed? I've been to the Austin Museum of Natural History and I think, in the Houston Museum of Natural History. Right. Uh, the Houston Museum was probably my favorite. Yeah. And the, the Austin Museum ha- has less dinosaurs because it's more of a poor man kind of town. Right, right. <laughs> and why the Houston is more uh, Mesozoic because Robert T. Bakker was there. I right, mean. <laughs> right. Have you ever met Dr. Bakker? No, I haven't met Dr. Bakker, but... It's my daddy's favorite paleontologist, yeah. and one of mine. Yeah. I'd love to meet him. Yeah, Dr. Bakker is incredibly nice as well. It's a great industry because most of the people you'll meet are very nice, uh, very fun to get to know, and Dr. Bakker is one of them. Well, I hope one day you get a chance to meet him. Yeah, the Houston Museum, as far as Texas goes, is one of the best. It's it's pretty spectacular. There are some amazing things. Um, so if there is one museum I wish you would get to visit— it would be one in Utah in a place called the museum at Thanksgiving point. That is the coolest museum. I walked into it. I didn't know what to expect, but when I walked around, I couldn't believe it. First, when you walk in the front door, there's a Torvosaurus skeleton greeting you. How many times you get to see Torvosaurus? No, never. Almost. Exactly. So there's a big Torvosaurus in the hall greeting you. Then you go in and as you walk through the museum, you're traveling back in time. So you start off with the Devonian. And you're walking and it looks like there's water under your feet because it's a glass floor. But you look below and you see trilobites and all these cool animals, sea scorpions all on the floor under you. So as you're walking, it's like you're walking across the top of the ocean. And then from there, you start moving into other time periods. And all of a sudden, you turn the corner and they have two adult Tyrannosaurus Rex skeletons fighting with each other over a dead duckbill. Like you get to walk under them. You're standing under two full-size t-rexes it is crazy and when that sounds awesome oh yeah and by the time you get all the way to the end the last thing you see is woolly mammoths but it's a mammoth skeleton being attacked by human skeletons so the it's it's all human skeletons and mammoth skeleton with spears and like the mammoth is stepping on one of the human skeletons it's a scene of all skeletons, but it looks crazy cool. They even have the mouth of a megalodon, like the full model. So anyway, that's a place I hope you get a chance to go. Well, Noah, listen, I enjoy so much uh, getting to t- getting to chat with you. I have so much fun talking to you, and especially before we do the uh, uh, before the meeting starts, it's always fun to get a chance to sneak a conversation in with you before. Of course, like I said, I've just ruined it. So now everybody's going to log on thirty minutes early, but. Yeah. <laughs> But um, you know so much about prehistoric life. And finally, you always come up with the best who would win scenarios. Those are the best. And I I try to include one in every single podcast. All right, here's your last question. This is going to be the toughest one. If you could see one living prehistoric animal, 
Now you would be safe. It's not like it would eat you or anything like that. If you could travel back in time, walk right up to one prehistoric animal, you get one. Who you picking? Argentinosaurus. I mean, I wow. would just love to be with it and just take in the power of the dinosaurs. Just to take in the power of the dinosaurs. Argentinosaurus would be the best representative of that because, I mean, it's so huge. You could just feel the power of the dinosaurs. That's a great choice. I've got to admit, for me, it would be tough. I would want to see my favorite Allosaurus. But I would probably choose Tyrannosaurus Rex for only one reason. Because I want to know what it's really doing. Is it the predator I'm thinking? Or is it just a big bully who just sits around and waits for somebody else to make a kill and they just comes and takes it away? Are the things I think about him accurate or are they just completely inaccurate? What about watching a terror bird in action, though? Oh, I didn't think of that. I don't know. I might have to change it. Too late. You're, oh. No, you're doomed. You get one shot. You choked. Oh. You choked in the, in the last quarter of the game. Oh. <laughs> you're stuck with Argentinosaurus. Sorry, kid. You had your chance, baby. <laughs> the thing's going to step on me now for trading, <laughs> for being a trader. <laughs> yeah. Now you're going to walk up and go, look how majestic. And it's going to look at you and go, oh, you, the kid that wanted to trade me for a terror bird. <laughs> you're, I'm giving you a scientific name. Your name is now Pancakeosaurus. <laughs> oh, well, at least I can say I met my empire dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's better than jumping off the Empire State Building because that was going to be a terrible ending. <laughs> Noah, I enjoy this so much. Hey, do you like the Patreon Club? Do you enjoy the club? I really, really like it. You get a ton of really unique opportunities. I mean, behind the scene access is really cool because, I mean, you are, and the other people are some of the only people in the ward who get to see it. So it's really neat and Everyone's so nice there. I'm glad. I'm glad you like that. No, no one's mean. Yeah. That is one thing I will say, Noah, and I'm glad you brought that up. Every member of the Patreon club is just good. They're good people. Everybody's friendly, polite. You know, when somebody has a birthday, everybody wishes them happy birthday. And it's a lot of fun to listen to all you guys with, because I try to let you interact as much as I can. And it's fun to hear the different answers and the different perspectives. So I'm glad you enjoyed being it. Well, if you would like an opportunity to be interviewed on a podcast, become a Tyrannosaurus member of the Patreon club, and you might get a chance to be interviewed just like my friend Noah, who's one of the first of the Tyrannosaur members. Noah, I always enjoy talking to you and I'm going to see you this afternoon, right? We have a, we have a this and then Saturday, we have a lesson, a Patreon Club lesson this coming Saturday. So I will see you now, this afternoon, and then Saturday evening, I think, right? Yes, sir. All right, I'm getting pretty sick of you, kids. Stop hanging around me so much. You're driving me nuts. <laughs> Noah, say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye. All right, my friends. Glad Noah took some time to be interviewed. I hope you all enjoyed today's lesson on Megalodon. I've got lots more coming up. Um, our Facebook page, I saw my live feed crashed about halfway through. So for anybody that's listening to this that was on Facebook, I apologize for that. 
So anyway, thank you all very much. I hope you all have a great day. Take care of yourself. Take care of the people around you. And I will see you all soon. listening to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club, and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge. 